In a time of growing isolation and individualism, we are reminded of how important it is to stay connected to God and to each other. Jesus gave us a meaningful metaphor to help make the point. I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus declared. Jesus calls us into a life of connection before production, a life rooted in genuine love, a life that yields fruit that lasts as we abide in him. Good morning, church. It's an honor to be with you all today to talk about the love that God has for us and how we can live out that, life, that love in our lives. And it is just really good to be back with you all. Still, in many ways, it feels like home. It's been such a warm welcome, except whenever I see someone... The first thing that they ask is not how I'm doing or what's been going on with me. It's, where's Sarah? So I kind of know where I am on that totem pole, but Sarah's doing well. She wishes that she could be here uh, with you all. Uh, as Randy mentioned, we have two girls, Adeline and Audrey. They're 10 and 8, and uh, we're doing very well, and it is so good to uh, be back with you today. I have such fond memories of this church and in so many ways this congregation has played a very important role in my own spiritual formation it is so good to be with you all i want to say thank you to the elders for uh, allowing me to come and talk to you today about um, about haiti and about uh, what god is doing in haiti what god is doing through you all for the benefit of haiti i'm thankful for the missions committee and their commitment to Haiti, and I want to specifically mention Brian Eastman and the way he's been such a wonderful liaison uh, from the Edmund congregation with Hope for Haiti's children. He's uh, communicative, caring, uh, loves the work, loves Haiti, and so it's been a joy to work with him. I'm so appreciative of uh, the work that uh, is happening in Haiti and and you all are playing a very important role in that. Specifically, I want to uh, mention to you that uh, Jacob and Vanessa Luisius are doing very well. You all helping to support for Jacob and Vanessa and the work that they're doing specifically in Cazo, which is an area just outside of Port-au-Prince. We have an orphanage there. Also, a Church of Christ congregation meets there on the property. And Jacob is the youth minister there. Very committed, very gifted young man that's doing a wonderful job in that work. And they welcomed a baby girl to their family last fall, Mary, Kyra, Jane, I was born in October, and uh, she is doing very well, and they're very proud parents of that beautiful little girl. Just a couple uh, pictures here. Uh, this is from what we might call a New Year's Eve party, uh, something that Jacob put on. Students had a great time with that. And so youth ministry in Haiti, in many ways, is similar to youth ministry here in the United States. Uh, fellowship and fun, just enjoying being together. Jacob is doing a wonderful job. This is, uh, you see how many students are there, part of the congregation. It's a group Bible study. He did something pretty neat with this. Uh, he encouraged the young people to memorize scripture and then uh, he had them um, uh, kind of 
tested them on that and it provided certificates for some of the students that were able to memorize pretty significant portions of of scripture and so he's instilling the word of god in these young people there in in haiti and i, I want to say that he could not do what he's doing without uh, your support and so thank you so very much for that uh, one more picture here is baptizing student into christ see a picture of him preaching and teaching as well doing an excellent job there in kazo our passage has been read for us once already this morning i'd like to read it again though as we think about uh, remaining in christ living out his love in our lives it's john 15 beginning at verse 9. as the father has loved me so have i loved you now remain in my love if you keep my commands you will remain in my love just as i have kept my father's commands and remain in his love i have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete my command is this love each other as i have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends a man named simon sinek popularized a question in fact he has a whole book on this question what is your why what is your why we think a lot about the what and the how of life or perhaps it's in a church maybe in an organization a business we think about a lot about the what and the how but he suggests that it's important that we spend time in reflection on our why why we do what we do why certain things are important to us could be a car manufacturer think about making cars but he said it's probably more than just making cars perhaps you're trying to build something that is going to help bring safety or satisfaction to certain customers and so he says that the the what and the how are certainly important but if you lose a sense of your why you're going to find yourself off track my hope is that we spend time in this passage here that was just read if we spend time in that it'll help to inform our why in fact i would say that if it's not informing our why to understand the love that jesus has for us and how we are to love one another if it's not informing our why we need to rethink our purpose intent in life so in this teaching jesus has uh, some insight that he offers us i'm going to go through these very quickly i'm going to focus on number five the first is that jesus loves us as the father loves him we think about the love that the father has for the son what is that love like it's it's pure it's holy it's complete so that we would, I might say is the foundation for the love that we are to have for one another it's the love that the father the son and i believe we can include the holy spirit in there that they enjoy together secondly we remain in jesus's love by keeping his commands of course he says what's ultimate is that we love one another love 
is at the center of what it means to be a child of God, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It rises and falls, if you will, on the love that we have for one another. It's crucial to our lives that we love one another. And let me say this, too, that the love that we have for one another is rooted in the love that Jesus has for us. In other words, our love comes as a response to his love. I would hope that we would, we would all know. I, I don't know your stories. And with this many people gathered together, there's all kinds of stories represented in this room. I understand that. But I would hope that when you walk away to, from today's service, that you will understand how deeply God loves you. You may be struggling with a sense of purpose or meaning. Perhaps you don't feel like you're enough, but that you can kind of rise to the challenges of life. I would hope that you'd understand today that you are deeply loved by God. In fact, you are so loved by God that he willingly offered his son for you. All of us are loved. And, and I would hope that each of us would be a channel of that love for one another. That we are expressing that love to each other, both in what we say and in what we do. We are to be a community that is built on the love of God. Third, obeying Jesus' command to love leads to his joy filling us. His joy will become complete in us. We will know that joy. The pathway to this type of joy is love for God and for each other. So we sort of scan the, the landscape of our world. Sometimes we don't see a lot of joy. Perhaps even when we look in the mirror, we don't see a lot of joy. But Jesus shares here the pathway, the direction of our lives that we can receive this kind of joy. Do you see it? It's his joy. There's a, what does Jesus' joy look like? You thought about that? I think of Hebrews chapter 12 where the Hebrews writer says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. It's a sense of strong commitment and understanding who you are and whose you are. So Jesus says, this joy is available to you. My joy is available to you, but it comes through love. And we are to love others as Jesus loves us. This is unconditional. This is perfect love that he has for each other. This is sacrificial love, willingly offering his life for each of us. And he did this not when we were perfect. Paul says in Romans that, that Jesus died when we were sinners. When we were even enemies, Jesus died for us. No one in this room is, is perfect. All of us mess up. There's things that we do that we're not proud of. Perhaps even in the last couple of days, you think of things that you've done and you're totally 
ashamed of those actions or those things that you have said. Again, with this many people together, there's going to be stories like that. But know that you are loved. Loved so much that Jesus willingly died for you. He became sin. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. This Jesus-style love that he's instructing us toward, it's selfless and sacrificial. That's how we are to love one another. So when you think about your why, that's why I say Jesus' teaching here must inform what we do, how we live. Love needs to be at the center of everything that we do. I put it this way, putting others before yourself in a me-first world is this kind of love. We, we understand this about our world, right? That there is so much of what we call selfishness, putting yourself on a pedestal, thinking about your own accolades and attention. We see this all over the place. You know, I think if there was a football game recently, and we saw that on display. But really, I could point to certain athletes or certain celebrities, but you know how it goes, and there's one foot, or one foot, one finger pointed that direction, there's three pointed back at you, and that's, that's the reality. All of us at different times could say that, yeah, we've been selfish. We've lived this me-first kind of life. Jesus is calling us into a different way of living, and it's putting others first. Some of us may just struggle with our purpose. We, you think about that question, what is your, why we struggle with that? But if we're allowing Jesus' teaching here to inform us, we won't struggle with our why. He makes it really clear what we are here for, how God has designed us. It is to love each other selflessly and sacrificially. So this van right here, and this isn't the exact van, but this van holds a special place in my heart. Doesn't look like anything special. I get that. Looks like an old kind of beat up van, but this van is much like the van that my parents drove when I was growing up. Yeah, we were living the high life. I know. Don't be jealous. This is before seat belts, and so you could pretty much have free run of the van, which was, which was really nice. But on Sunday mornings, I remember something that happened in this van. On Sunday mornings, my parents had committed to picking up the Terry family, the kids anyways, and taking them to church. Now, when I was nine or 10 years old, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like doing this. The Terry family... It's just different. You look different, talk differently, acted different, smelled different. I just wanted to go on to church, like all my, my friends at church. I just wanted to go, but we had to wake up a little bit earlier and kind of go out of our way to go pick this family up and take them. And to be honest, 
as I was sitting in the back of that van, remember this before seatbelts were a thing, like I think they were in there, but you didn't have to use them. So we're walking around. The Terry family, like if my parents knew some of the things that I was hearing, that some of the things that were being said, I, I think my parents might have rethought this commitment to picking up the Terry family to take them to church. But there I was, nine or 10, and I was getting an education. I think that's why I have all the street smarts today is because of what is happening in that, in that van. Not really. At the time, I hated it. I didn't want to pick them up. I didn't like spending time with them. They were just different. But now as I reflect on those Sunday mornings in that van, which is like brown, burnt orange, as I reflect on those mornings and going and picking them, them up, I am so very thankful. That van to me represents at least part of the why for my mom and dad. I don't know if they wanted to go pick up the Terry family. I don't know if they looked forward to it. I don't know how the decision was made. But what I do know is every Sunday morning, there we were in this van going and picking up these kids, taking them to church where they were learning about God and hopefully experiencing the love of God in very tangible ways. And it it got me to thinking, you know, like I mentioned, a a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and it kind of convicted me. I thought, who is, who's my Terry family? My girls are watching me just like I was watching my parents. And they selflessly picked them up to take them to church. I think a lot of the reason that I'm standing before you today is because of what happened in that van on Sunday mornings. I can't tell you that the Terry family is in church now. I don't know what their relationship to God is like. I think a couple of them may be in jail, but they were exposed to Jesus and they were exposed to, love's, to God's love. Who's your Terry family? What is your why? And how does Jesus' teaching here inform your why? We see this me first mindset. I'm going to go through this list very quickly, but but let it sink in. Give thought to this list here. The me first mindset, craving recognition, admiration, and applause. Taking credit for what others have done so that you can receive recognition and applause. Becoming defensive when differing views are presented Sort of having tunnel vision, we might say. Just thinking about how we look at life, how we understand the world. Rarely acknowledging sins or mistakes. Thinking in some ways, we're above making mistakes. Me? Sin? No. Blaming others for our own failures. Resisting advice, new insights, or ideas. I mean, I'm pretty smart. Why do I need to listen to you or learn from you? This is pretty pervasive in our society, wouldn't you say? I'm not immune to this myself. As I stand before you today, I have struggled with these sort of mindsets or mentality. John, 
Another place, the other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see the, the echo there from what we saw there in John 15. Living for others. Jesus was not a me first type of person, was he? It's others. It's you. And that's me. And we're called to live that way as well. Even as we are sort of paddling in a, in a current, if you will, of me first. It's all around us. He says, okay, what does that look like? I, I love this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but it has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That's a convicting question right there. And so this sort of others-focused love means tangible impact on others doing something so that someone else can be lifted up. It's not just like, oh man, there's someone in need. You know, I'm going to go ahead and pray for them so that they can receive some sort of help. Or, you know, I'll go ahead and think about it. Or, man, I'll go ahead and put a social media post about what I have seen. John says, I love God even in that person, even in that mentality. No, it's about doing something for the one in need. Jesus didn't just contemplate the cross. He endured the cross. Jesus didn't just teach about obedience to the Father. He exemplified obedience to the Father, and he did it all in love. And so this other's first mindset, it looks something like this, not an exhaustive list. I understand that. But it's putting the spotlight on others. I was uh, talking to a friend recently, and I was struggling with something. In fact, I, I called him, uh, knowing that he's super wise, very loving person. And I called him thinking he was going to kind of like affirm my thought process. <laughs> don't, don't you hate it when people don't do that? I mean, but you know it's for your own good. And he said, okay, you're struggling with this person. What are some ways that you can actually put the spotlight on him? You're hogging the spotlight right now. How can you put the spotlight on him? He said, what, what do you think we should be praying for as it relates specifically to him? Oh, that hurts. But that's others-focused, isn't it? Give others credit even when you're being applauded. I love it. Going back to sports, I love when they're interviewing a quarterback after the game and he acknowledges the line and the defense and some of the other players instead of just trying to hog the spotlight. Be a kind of person that thinks the line and the coaches and the fans. Take the spotlight off of yourself in that way. Listen carefully to others. Stay teachable. For so many of us, we do walk around like we've got it all figured out, that we, we've got all the answers. 
There is, it's like thinking about the church family, there is so much wisdom and experience and knowledge in this room. We can learn from each other, but it requires us having a humble heart, willing to listen. Confess your sins and acknowledge wrongdoing. It's so important that we confess our sins. It humbles us. It reminds us that we are not perfect. None of us are the Savior. We all need the Savior, Jesus Christ. And then share your resources easily and cheerfully. Live from a place of abundance. We recognize, right, the creator of the world is our Father. Live from a place of abundance, not scarcity. The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. And he shares freely with all of us. And so we can share freely with others, recognizing the source of everything that we have. It's inexhaustible. It's got it all. So live from a place of abundance, not scarcity. I want to go back to talking about Jacob. He grew up in the orphanage there in Gazelle. Didn't have much at all. But what he did have in that orphanage were the basics. Food, shelter, a loving environment, people that pointed him to Jesus. So you see this young man with very little is now serving the congregation there and doing so exceptionally well. Recently, we're having some uh, communication with Jacob, and, and Brian asked Jacob specifically, and I love that he asked, he said, what can we be praying for right now? And what you see on the screen there is what Jacob asked us to be praying for. I would like you to help me to pray first for young people so that they can be filled with the spirit of discernment and agree to follow Jesus Christ by entrusting their lives to him. Pray for me so that I become more powerful before the adversary Satan, so that after having taught others, I myself do not find myself under the influence of the evil one, as Paul the apostle said. Pray that the Lord gives me wisdom and intelligence so that I can lead the young people properly according to his will as King Solomon obtained, to be faithful and pleasing to him until the coming of the Son of of man. Wow. That should be a prayer request for all of us, right? That we can lead people to Christ, that we can stand strong against the influence of Satan, that we can have this kind of wisdom and intelligence so we know how to live, so we can live that righteous life that God has called us to live. And I hope that we will honor Jacob in praying that for him. Jacob, he was at the orphanage there because of people like you who support that work, who sponsored him through his educational experience, who pray for him. 
He's able to have the type of effect that he has because there are so many, including here, who've been putting others first. And now you see it with Jacob doing that same thing, all to the glory of God. I overheard this quote recently, and it's too good, too thought-provoking not to share. No one ever changed the world by doing what the world was already doing. We live in a me-first generation, me-first world. Jesus told the disciples, here's how it's going to work. The world, others, are going to know that you're my people. You are my disciples by the love that you have for each other. That's what's going to change the world, that kind of love. A couple months ago, in a setting much like this, a young lady walked to the front. And she said, I'm ready to be baptized. Jesus is my Savior and my King. About two months before that moment, she had called up the church building there in Tennessee. She called up the church building and she said, I have a flat tire. And I know that you all help people. Can you help me? She knew that this particular congregation helped people because she had needed some help with some, some furniture and some clothing. And so a benevolent ministry stepped up to provide for them. That's how she knew about the Maple Hill Church. Flat tire, a few guys from church go and help her fix that tire. One of the guys started to tell her just a little bit about Jesus, started to inquire about her faith. And they began studying the Bible together. She walks to the front. She says, Jesus is my Lord. I'm ready to live for him forever. It started by some guys saying, oh, sure, we'll go help fix her flat tire. It started with some guys putting her first. And look at the impact. A soul is saved. No one ever changed the world by doing what the world was already doing. Let's let God change the world through us by living this radical, amazing love, putting others first, just like Jesus displayed. I'm going to go ahead and ask that we stand. Go ahead and stand. You can hear echoes of Jesus's teaching here and what the Apostle Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Church, as we gather to worship God today, we come with a collective understanding that it's all been made possible by the one who showed this great, amazing love. He laid down his life for us. And may we respond to his love, his faith, his obedience by doing the same for others. We're going to sing an invitation song today. If you're ready to, to do like that young lady that I mentioned, if you're ready to put the Lord on in baptism, to live with him for eternity, that invitation is wide open to you. Maybe you need the prayers of the assembly today. You can come forward. You can let us know publicly what's going on. We'll be glad to pray with you today. If you want to meet privately with some of the shepherds, they'll be available directly behind me in the parlor. If you have any needs at all, you can come forward as we stand and worship our God who is love. Boundless love.